All right, well, welcome to our class today. So today's class is, we're going to be answering the question, is baptism necessary for salvation? So before I begin, I, I, we should probably start with defining exactly what is meant by salvation. Because uh, just like anything, words have a, a, a range of meanings. Every time a word is used, it doesn't mean uh, the same thing all the time. So it's important to begin by explaining what we, exactly we mean by salvation. So uh, in this context, for this class, what, what I, we come to it assuming that we're all guilty sinners. We've all sinned against a holy God. God is just. Uh, in his justice and holiness, he cannot overlook our sin. So we need salvation. We need to be saved. We need forgiveness of our sins. We need to be made right with God, uh, ultimately, so we can go to heaven when we die. Um, so that, that is what is meant by salvation in the, for the purposes uh, of this class today. Perhaps a, a better word, a more technical word, would be justify or justified. And that, that means to be declared not guilty or to, to be declared righteous. But in, in everyday language amongst Christians today, we typically use salvation and justification interchangeably. We use them synonymously. So I just want to clarify that at the very beginning, that when I'm asking the question, is baptism necessary for salvation? I mean salvation in the sense of, is baptism necessary to justify us, to declare us not guilty, to uh, declare us righteous before God so we can, we can go to heaven when we die? So the short answer to this question is no. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. Ephesians uh, 2, 8, and 9 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And in addition to that, the Old Testament saints, like Abraham and David, they were saved. They were not baptized. The thief on the cross in Luke uh, uh, chapter 23, Jesus told him, this day you will be with me in paradise. He wasn't baptized. So the short answer to the question, is baptism necessary for salvation, is no. And that's consistent with what is believed and taught here at uh, Heritage Baptist Church. So that being said, there are some that would answer the question, is baptism necessary for salvation? They would answer, yes, it is. And depending on who you're speaking with, they might add a number of other things that can get incredibly complicated. But there are some that would say, Yes, baptism is necessary. Sure, you need to have faith, you need to be repenting of your sins, but you also need to be baptized in order to be saved or justified or to be made right with God, to go to heaven when you die. But another way, if you are not baptized, you're going to hell. You cannot be saved. And people that hold that position would appeal to, oh, those are, those are verses that support uh, salvation through faith. John 1, 12. John 3.16, whoever believes in uh, the Son of God should not perish, but have eternal life. 
But there's some that would uh, appeal to verses like James 2.24 that says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Or Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 22.16, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So if this is the first time you were confronted with verses like this, uh, you might conclude, well, the Bible contradicts itself. On one hand, it's telling us we're saved through faith alone uh, and not of our works. In other places, it's telling us we need to be baptized. So you might think the Bible uh, contradicts itself, or you just you might be confused. Well, uh, hopefully in, in this class, we'll... Uh, as you'll see, we'll, we'll try to clarify uh, this confusion. And if you're here today and you perhaps uh, you're just confused, you don't know how to handle these verses that seem to be telling us we need to be saved in order to be baptized, uh, just know that I feel your confusion because as, as a young Christian, I struggled with those issues. I would listen to all kinds of arguments from both sides. I would listen to before we had podcasts, the radio, listen to Catholic radio, and I was really challenged, and I spent, and still continue to do do so, spent over 30 years just studying this issue, uh, looking, listening to all the arguments, counter-arguments, studying the scriptures for myself. So I definitely feel your confusion if you are confused. But in this class, I plan to demonstrate that the Bible is clear when it comes to the doctrine of salvation. And the scriptures are sufficient to comp for us to confidently answer the question, is baptism necessary for salvation? So just to uh, give you uh, an outline of, of where we're going in this class today, we've already uh, defined what we mean by salvation, and then we'll begin by going to sections of Scripture that teach us specifically on how we're saved. So we're going to specifically look at what the Bible teaches about salvation. And then we'll look at some texts used to, su used to support uh, the necessity for baptism. So we will begin by looking at uh, the book of Ephesians and what it has to say uh, about how, how we're saved. Because Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result so that no one may boast. That's one of the most uh, quoted verses when we're defending the doctrine of justification through faith alone or when we're telling people uh, we're saved by faith and not baptism. And it's important to start there because on any subject, not even in the Bible, if you, for example, if you wanted to... Uh, learn how to change the oil in your car. You go to the, the, the driver, the owner's manual. Where do you go? You go to the section that tells you how to change the oil. You don't go to the section that tells you how to change the headlight. Now, even though maybe in that section uh, that tells you how to change the headlight, it might mention something in passing about where the oil pan is, but that section is not intended to teach you how to change the oil. It's intended to teach you how to change the headlight. So if you want to learn to change the oil on your car, you go to the section of the owner's manual that tells you specifically and directly how you change the oil 
in your car. If you, if you go to the section that tells you how to change the oil and then you start taking things from where it's talking about headlights and, and mentions the oil, you're going to get confused. You're going to put oil in the headlight part and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna create a mess. And the same thing is true with the scriptures. If we have a question, if we want to learn something, you, you begin by going to the scriptures that deal with that issue specifically. So when we're dealing with the, the issue of salvation and how someone is saved, we need to go to where the Bible specifically addresses the issue. So in the book of Ephesians, unlike other epistles, Ephesians was not written uh, to correct a, a certain problem or, or clarify any kind of uh, false teaching. So Ephesians begins with giving a clear explanation of the gospel. It clearly explains how we are saved. It begins by reminding us how, how when we were lost, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, how we once lived, we followed uh, our flesh and the world and the devil. Uh, it begins by reminding us of what we were like before God saved us. It tells us we were the children of wrath. But then it goes on to tell us how God saved us, how he has made us alive in Christ and reconciled us to himself, and how God reconciles Sinners from all, all walks of life, maybe sinners who were once enemies, were all united in one body in the church. And then after reminding us about all the blessings that we receive freely through the gospel and telling us that we're saved through faith, it's not of anything that we can do, it's a gift, it's not a result of works. None of us can boast. After reminding us of the gospel, then it transitions in the middle of the letter and starts giving practical application on how you live in light of that. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Paul begins the letter of Ephesians by explaining the gospel and then making application for everyday life. The gospel in the latter part of Ephesians is used as motivation for godly living. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So when the Bible speaks directly about how we're saved, as it does in, in, in the book of Ephesians, it tells us that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, not of anything we can do, so that no one can boast. So in addition to the book of Ephesians, book of uh, Romans, uh, it provides uh, a detailed theological explanation on the subject uh, of salvation. The, the first three uh, chapters of Romans, it, it demonstrates that all are sinners. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. The Greek there, it's referring to Gentiles, non-Jewish people. So in mentioning Jews and Gentiles uh, in Romans 1.16, Paul is, he's, he's dealing with the objection that a lot of Jewish people had, and that is, they could acknowledge, yeah, these Gentiles, they're a bunch of wild sinners. They deserve your wrath, but we have circumcision, and we keep all these festivals, and we keep the Sabbath, so, so we're not sinners like that. We're, we're, we're not enemies of God. We're, we're, we're cool. With, you know, God's cool with us because we're children of Abraham, eth ethnically and practice this 
uh, Jewish religion. But Paul refutes that in Romans 3.19. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And he goes on to say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So we see here in Romans that justification or salvation, it's a gift. It's nothing that we earn because of our own doing. It's received through faith, not of works. And then Paul, to further uh, uh, support this idea, he goes and uses uh, Abraham as an example of someone who was saved freely by faith, by believing, not by any works that he had done. In Romans 4, uh, 1 to 5, it says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So here we see faith being contrasted with works. So not only are we saved by faith, we can also see from Romans we're not saved by faith plus works. So true saving faith is faith alone in Jesus. And Paul goes on to stress the fact that Abraham was justified before he had received the, the covenant sign of, of, of circumcision. And he goes on to uh, include David as well as an example of someone who was saved through faith. And remember, both Abraham and David were not baptized, and they were saved. So why, why is... Uh, I just want to take a, a moment to just say something about faith. What, what exactly do we mean about faith and what? Faith and who? Well, in verse 22 of uh, Romans 3, it tells us that it's faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 25 of Romans 3 says the propitiation by his blood. It's, it's faith in Jesus and what he has done. Paul spends a lot of time in Romans explaining exactly what Christ has done for us. He shed his blood for our sins. That's how we can have forgiveness of our sins. It's, it's through Jesus, and it's received through faith in him. We can't do anything to sacrifice for our own sins. And he goes on to talk about uh, Jesus' righteousness and how we receive that. We can't do enough righteous deeds to earn our salvation. In Romans 5.19, he's speaking of, the, of, of Adam, and, that, and he says, For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. 
Much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, he, that's, that's God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in the gospel, we see that Jesus, he gets our, uh, he receives our condemnation on the cross, and we get his perfect righteousness. So in Christ, we have the forgiveness of our sins. We no longer fear the wrath of God, punishment in hell. And in Christ, we also get his perfect righteousness. So we can be accepted in the presence of God. So faith alone is short for Christ alone. Faith is the exact opposite of depending on ourselves. True faith says, I will not depend on myself. I can never make myself righteous before God. I trust Jesus and trust him completely to give me a righteous standing before God. And you know what? Anyone can do this. Anyone can just fall down and trust Jesus. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are, uh, what church you were brought up in, uh, what your family was like. Anyone can receive the free gift of salvation because Jesus did it all. And that's why justification by faith alone is so important. Because if we add anything, whether it's circumcision, which came from, from Moses, or, 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 or baptism, basically we're saying Jesus is not enough. We need to do something more. And it robs Christ of the glory that is rightfully his. I think it was John Calvin who said, no sacrifice that we can do can compare to Christ's sacrifice. And no act of righteousness we can do can compare to Christ's righteousness. Martin Luther said, when I look to myself, I don't see how I can be saved. But when I look to Christ, I don't see how I can be lost. So salvation through faith alone is short for saying salvation in Christ alone. And Paul could say in Philippians 3, 8, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. That's beautiful. So, in summary, when we go to the, the scriptures that deal specifically with how we are saved, that helps us answer the question, is baptism necessary for salvation? No. Jesus has, has, has done everything for us, and it's received just through trusting in him. When the Bible speaks directly on the issue of salvation, it's clear. It's straightforward. It's not confusing. There's no contradictions. We're, we're saved as a free gift, and it's, uh, it's received through faith in, in Jesus and what he has done. I like how the confession here, uh, the quote here, it says, Faith, thus receiving... And resting on Christ and his righteousness is the alone instrument of justification. Well, that being said, we do need to take a look at James 2.24, which says a person is justified by works and not faith alone. Like Ephesians and Romans, the epistle of James is God's word too. And we need to take seriously what it's teaching us. We need to accept what James is teaching us. 
And James uh, 2.24 is probably the most used objection that people use uh, when wanting to, uh, when they're opposing the doctrine of salvation or justification uh, through faith alone. And at first glance, it appears that the, this verse in James is contradicting what we've gone over in Ephesians and Romans. And it seems a little bit confusing. Well, if you're not familiar with the context of James 2, uh, you might assume that the word justified means the exact same thing it does in the book of James or in the book of uh, Romans and Ephesians. Well, like many words, the word justify ha has a range of meanings. It doesn't always mean the exact same thing every time it's used. Uh, just for example, we use the word church for, and we have a, a variety of different meanings. Sometimes we use the word church to describe a physical building. Sometimes we use the word church to describe uh, the members of a local congregation. So if you were trying to uh, figure out what, what's the biggest church in Owensboro, uh, you might be confused if people, uh, by church, someone else means, oh, the building, and hey, this church over here is the biggest. And you're thinking, what? They got like 100 members. We have 1,000 members. That church is bigger. You could get confused if you're using the same word and you have different meanings. So if we assume that James is using the word justified exactly as uh, Paul uses in uh, Romans and Ephesians, we can be confused. So the word justify, uh, it has a range of meanings. In, in the book of Romans, we see in context that uh, it's, it's used in a legal sense. It's contrasted with condemnation. But the word justify can also mean to demonstrate or to show someone that you're righteous. It's, it's to demonstrate or, or show something. Uh, for instance, uh, I wish Kenny Flaspoler was here. I, I could pick on him, but I will anyway. Uh, he can say, I'm fast. I can run fast. He, and he can say that. Anyone can say that. But he can justify it because he can get the medal that he received at the, the reindeer run where he got second place in his age group, and that would justify what he said. So justify can mean to show something, to demonstrate something. And uh, the word justify is, is used that way in, in other parts of Scripture. In, uh, in uh, Luke 16, uh, we see Jesus... Uh, he says to the Pharisees, you are those who justify yourselves before men, and God knows your heart. So the point here is not that uh, the Pharisees went around making legal declarations that they were declared not guilty and declared righteous before God. No, they mean they're attempting to demonstrate or show others uh, they were righteous by their outward deeds. Um, when Jesus was uh, uh, speaking to a man uh, who, who was desiring to justify himself, uh, we see that he wasn't desiring to give a legal pronouncement about himself, that he was not guilty in God's sight or he was declared righteous in God's sight. He was desiring to show and demonstrate that he was righteous. So in the Bible, the word justify, and there's many more examples, those are just a few, has a range of meanings. It doesn't always mean to be declared righteous before God. So in the context of, uh, 
James chapter 2, James is dealing with people who make the profession that I'm saved, but then they don't demonstrate that. They, they live sinful lives. And if you read through James 2, he, he says, I will show you, I will demonstrate to you uh, my faith by my works. And he's talking about different kinds of faith. He's like, can that kind of faith save you? A faith that just is a mere profession, but there's no evidence of it. So James is using the word justify in a totally different meaning. He's using it in the sense of to demonstrate, to show that you are righteous. Gentlemen, I was listening to Bodie Bauckham's sermon last week, and <clears throat> he referred to this verse, but he was talking about the works after salvation as obedience. Oh, yes. So uh, it puts a whole different spin on the context of works. Yes, yeah. Okay, all right. Okay, so, so far in seeking to answer the question, is baptism necessary uh, for salvation? We, we've, we've gone with uh, the text of scriptures that speaks uh, specifically about the issue of how we're saved. We see that we're saved through faith alone and not in anything that we can do. We've looked at the objection in James chapter 2 and see that when James says we're justified by works, he's, he, he means we, we demonstrate. He's not using it the same way Paul uses it in Romans. So now we're going to look at some of the verses in the book of Acts that people use to support this idea that baptism is necessary for salvation. So for example, Acts 2, 38, it's from Peter's sermon, I believe, in Acts 2. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 22, 16. Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So I, I should uh, just mention before we, we look at these verses in Acts, a lot of times we assume that the, the biblical authors uh, record for us every single thing someone said in the exact order they said it. And if we uh, assume that, we can be confused. For example, in the Gospels, the Gospel writers do not tell us every single thing Jesus said and did in the exact same order. Uh, oftentimes, they select things uh, that Jesus did to make a point. Uh, they, they paraphrase uh, some of the things he said. And Acts is no different. Um, the book of Acts was given to, to give us a history of the church. Remember the Old Testament promise that God was going to pour out a spirit on all flesh. He was going to establish a new covenant. And uh, Jesus comes and he dies for, uh, for his people, saves them from their sins. And uh, in Acts, we see this being fulfilled, the gospel going to the nations, people receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's the main point of Acts. It starts with, with the Jews that rejected Jesus, how they can receive the gospel and the gift of the spirit. Then it goes on and transitions to the Gentiles and how they can be saved and receive the gift of the Spirit. And as it's giving us this history, it uh, paraphrases, it uses summary statements of things the apostles said, but it's uh, not intended to be a word-for-word -word transcript. Uh, Luke is intending to communicate bigger themes. 
So it, when something is mentioned in passing about either salvation or baptism, remember Luke is not attempting to give us a clear explanation of these do- of those doctrines. He's, he has a bigger picture how the, the gospel is going to Jews who rejected Jesus. The gospel is even going to Gentiles. So uh, Acts begins, uh, Acts 1.8, it says, you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, Acts 1.8. So that's, I guess that would be the thesis of, of the book of Acts. It, 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 Acts goes on from there to show how the gospel is going from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So when we read in Acts 2, where Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you take that summary statement to be a detailed theological explanation on how we're saved, uh, how we receive the Holy Spirit. And then you go to other sections of Acts, for example, uh, well, for the sake of time, I won't read them in detail, but I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase them. So in Acts 2.38, we have repent, baptize, forgiveness, receive spirit, but there's no mention of faith. Acts 8.34, that's the, uh, when the Ethiopian eunuch is saved when Peter shares the gospel with him. There's no mention of repentance or faith or the Holy Spirit, only baptism. Acts 10, uh, when Peter is bringing the gospel to Cornelius and the Gentiles, we see that in Acts 10.43, we're told, uh, believe and you will receive the forgiveness of sins. And then, after they believe the message, then they receive the Holy Spirit, then they're baptized. Acts 16.31, Peter tells the Philippian jailer, uh, when he asks, what must I do to be saved? He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. After that, he's baptized, but there, and there's no mention of the Holy Spirit in, in Acts 16. Uh, Acts 22, Paul is... Uh, discussing his conversion, and he mentions uh, something that Ananias uh, said to him. And Ananias says to him, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And then Acts 9 also records Paul's conversion. And we see that Paul was baptized, but there's no mention of faith or when he received the Holy Spirit. So if we take any of these summary statements that are mentioned in passing in order to prove a greater theological point, if we take them to be the normative experience of every Christian and we take them to be giving us a clear, detailed explanation on how we're saved and how baptism saves us, we are going to be confused. We're going to have, be faced with contradictions. And the problem starts when people uh, start outside of the Bible. They have a doctrine of how someone is saved, which they include baptism. And then, instead of going to the sections of Scripture that speak directly on the issue of salvation, they just go anywhere that baptism is mentioned in passing or salvation and come up with their, uh, use that just to support their theology that doesn't come from the Scriptures. And you can see how when you uh, start to read through the Scriptures, book by book, verse by verse, 
you could be confused if you don't take things in context. Uh, James, for example, he's not talking about the same thing Paul is when he uses the word justification. You need to use the context of James and let James define his own words. He's talking about a kind of faith that uh, has no works. And he says a true saving faith will be demonstrated by works. It will be justified by works in that sense. Also, in the book of Acts, Luke is, uh, is, is showing how the gospel and the Old Testament fulfillment of the Spirit going, being poured out on all flesh is going from the Jews to the Samaritans and then to the Gentiles and all the nations of the world. And in passing, he mentions, uh, in, or, yeah, Luke records for us in passing uh, things about baptism in the Holy Spirit, but he's not intending to give a detailed explanation of how someone is saved. So, is baptism necessary for salvation? The answer from the scriptures, when we consider all the Bible says on the issue, is no, it's not. And uh, the Old Testament saints, they were not baptized, they were saved. The thief on the cross was not baptized, he was saved. So when we go to the scriptures that speak directly on the subject of salvation, we see that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and, and in all that he has done to save us. But if we, I don't know if people who, who believe in the idea of, you know, baptisms necessary of salvation have really thought about this. If you take that position, you open up a whole set of problems for yourself. That is, what exactly is baptism? Who can do it? What church do you have to be baptized in? Because uh, some people would say you have to be done, it has to be done uh, by a certain priest who has some kind of authority. And if it's not done in, in our church the way we do it, then you're not really baptized. And then some traditions say, no, you need to repent, you need to be saved and have faith in Jesus and then get baptized. <clears throat> Looking back in your past, were you really saved when you were baptized? You could see how that would rob you of peace. Many believers struggle with, with their salvation. I know I do. Uh, as the Lord grows me in sanctification and, and I start to do good things I didn't do in the past, I look back at the, th the sins I've done and I feel awful. And I think to myself, was I truly a Christian? And I doubt whether I was truly saved back then. What do I do in those times of doubt? I look to Jesus. He's my righteousness. He's my forgiveness. I have peace with God. That is what the gospel gives us. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you think any work that you do, even baptism, saves you, it robs you of your peace. And not only that, practically speaking, if you think you've done something, even baptism, that work to earn your uh, forgiveness, in a sense, you think God owes you something. And you will be very bitter when things don't go your way in, in life. Remember in Ephesians that Paul uses the gospel as motivation for holy living, forgive others as you have been forgiven. If you think your salvation depends on a work you've done like baptism, you're going to expect other people to earn your forgiveness, to earn your love. And that robs you of joy, makes you bitter. There's no peace in that. The gospel, being justified by faith, 
gives alone gives us peace with God. And not only uh, that, uh, we all understand that uh, when God asks us to do something good, he, he wants us to do it with a good and pure motive. So, for example, if an old lady were to fall down, and I'm like, I don't care. She can sit there all day for all I care in my heart. But then I see all you looking at me. I'm like, ooh, I don't want these people to think bad of me. I'll go ahead and do the right thing and pick her up. Outwardly, I've done something good, but I've done no righteous deed. I was motivated by unpure motives. And the truth is, if we know ourselves, even the good deeds that we do never come from a 100% pure heart. There's always a little bit of uh, sin in there. Uh, I'll confess now, whenever I have an opportunity to, to, to teach or preach, there's a little bit of pride. There's a little bit of sin that I want to do a good job and get compliments. And there's a little bit of sin there. Not everything we do is with 100% motives. And that would include baptism. So if you think that baptism saves you, you know you can't do anything good with 100% pure motives. So there's no peace in believing that uh, uh, we can add anything to our salvation. It just robs us of our peace. It's only the gospel that gives us uh, true peace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So no, baptism is not necessary for salvation. I think, Cliff, did you have a... Yeah, so there are some very smart really know the scriptures who are Catholic, um, Episcopalian, we know some of those people. Um, who, they're our friends. Yes. And, and, and what their response would be to some of this is you need to define works precisely. Um, they would say these passages are saying you can't earn your salvation by doing good deeds. Oh, I'm going to try to earn my salvation by doing X, Y, Z. They would say that the term works does not include baptism, and that their criticism of you would be that you're using works and baptism interchangeably. And yeah. they would say, well, but you believe you have to repent. Is repentance a work? They would say baptism is just obedience to Christ. It's not a work. And you can't use works and baptism interchangeably. And they would point to these other scriptures and say, you need to interpret scripture in light of the clear passages. These passages are clear. It gives an order. You've got to do this, and you've got to be baptized. And they would say, John, you've got to reckon with what these verses say. Um, and I, I don't believe you. I'm just saying. Yeah, I get these it. Are, these are challenging topics. Mm -hmm. there, there are very sincere people who, who believe the opposite. And they will say, look, of course, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. He would say that God makes exceptions for those who can't be baptized because they're providentially hindered. But if you are otherwise able to be baptized and you don't, you're, you're not following scripture. So I guess I'm, I'm wanting us to be challenged a little yes. bit to be able to talk to these people who are very sincere uh, and, and be able to delve a little deeper. Yeah, so I'm aware of all those arguments, counter-arguments, and I wanted to bring a lot of that up. There's just not enough time. I couldn't deal with that. Um, the, the short answer to, to what you're saying is all those groups that you mentioned, they will have a complicated uh, system of how someone is saved. And if you challenge them to say, okay, show me where that is in the Bible, I want to see it. They can't do it. They can try, they can... But when we uh, say that we're saved by faith uh, alone, we can go to clear scriptures and, and articulate our position. 
that, that I mean that's a that's a short answer. As far as um, when I say where I say works and I, I'm including baptism, they would say you can't do that. Uh, I'll give you another illustration that some cults use that are poly, like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, there are sections in the Old Testament that tell us that you can't worship this false uh, pagan uh, Canaanite god because there's only one god. So if I were to say, hey, let's worship this plant, you would say, you can't worship the plant because in the Bible it says there's only one true God and you can't worship idols. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses will say, whoa, in context, it was talking about that Canaanite God. You are God, Jehovah or God is just the God of the Israelite people. That doesn't mean there's other gods out there. That idol, it just means that, Can that Canaan pagan idol. doesn't mean this plant. See how ridiculous that is? The Bible doesn't uh, answer, doesn't give us a list of every single idol that people worship. It gives us some examples, but it lays out the positive. There is only one God, and the reason you don't worship that Canaan idol, the Canaanite, you know, pagan idol, is because there is only one God. Uh, same with works. It doesn't mention the Bible doesn't mention every single work, but it positively tells us. Uh, how we are saved, and it's through faith and not works. And uh, it might give some examples like circumcision, but it doesn't give a list of every single, uh, every single uh, work, work out there. That's, the, I guess, the short answer. Yes, Amy? Oh, yes. Yes. Baptism, which is obedience to the Lord, comes after salvation. So it's not part of salvation, but it's required as obedience to the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. Because when God saved, we often use the word "saved" just to refer to you know, it's just get your get out of hell free card, walk an aisle, say a prayer, your sins are forgiven, and that's it. You're done. But salvation in the Bible, uh, it. it uh, God saves us for a purpose. Titus tells us that God saves us to, to make a people who are zealous for good works. Uh, Ezekiel, the new covenant promises a new spirit within us and we'll, we'll have a spirit that wants to walk in God's, that loves God's law. Uh, Acts 2, we see that people who are genuinely saved were baptized, they were added to the church, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The epistles were written uh, to the church, this idea of Lone Ranger Christians who just believe in Jesus and have their own thing going on is foreign from the New Testament. So salvation in the sense of justifying us before God is received through faith alone, but it also includes our sanctification, uh, our, our future glorification. That's why the Bible can speak of us being saved, past tense, being saved, present tense, and will be saved, future tense. And as the Bible is discussing various issues of our sanctification and mentions these things interchangeably, we have to be careful just to follow the flow of what the Bible is teaching and not insist that they're always talking about justification when they're talking about other issues. And I think a lot of people that believe in that baptism is necessary for salvation do just that. They don't start with the clear scriptures that tell us how we're justified. They go to all these verses in different contexts that mention aspects of salvation in passing in order to make another point. And they 
read that back into uh, the clear teaching of Romans or Ephesians. It's like taking the section in, in the, that tells you how to change your headlight and reading it back into where it tells you to, how to change your oil. You just, you'll get confused. And, and if we had more time, Cliff, I could you know, deal with a lot of those issues. I really think we should going forward. Uh, I have a feeling that was one of the purposes of this class. So yeah, hopefully uh, maybe Larry will touch on that uh, in the weeks to come. But our, our time is finished now. I will uh, close us with a word of prayer, and then we will be dismissed. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for what Jesus has done for us. Thank you that he suffered and died for our sins. He lived a perfect life for us. And your word promises us that through him, through receiving him through faith, that we have forgiveness of sins, we have peace, peace with you. Help us to be gracious towards others and be forgiving, not bitter. Help us to love those who disagree with us on the doctrine of baptism and how it relates to salvation. Help us to clearly articulate the gospel to them and pray for clarity. We pray that you would save those people, protect our church from these false teachings. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.